All right. Good morning. Well, welcome. If you did not get a program and you'd like one, slip your hand up nice and high. We've got some folks in the aisles. Make sure you have one because one, it's a coloring sheet. So, Jim, you can color while I'm talking. Probably would be the best thing, right? Whatever it might be. If you want to color, if it gets boring, kiddos, you can color. We've also got the kids' uh, busy packs that have all kinds of fun stuff in it. Crayons. And there's bazooka gum on the table, is my understanding, which is like nothing says summer like bazooka bubble gum for at least seven seconds. And then it's like, where's the trash? How do I get rid of this? I love it. Well, if you're a guest today, my name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads, and we are celebrating summer and kids today. That's what we're all about, and so we're grateful. Give the rally team one more great big hand for leading us in some music. And I want to say a special thank you to all of our volunteers that helped make this past week uh, a, a big hit, a great success. It was a lot of fun, and we look forward to many more uh, years and weeks of camp. Uh, along the way. So I also do want to say, hey, if you have not yet got your ticket to the gala, grab that today. It's going to be a great week next week. Carlos is going to be here from Puerto Rico. You're going to love him. It's going to be a fun week. And he's going to be here closing out this series on Sunday, talking how hope demands a global vision. It's going to be a great weekend. I hope you'll be there. If you can't be there, just drop something off to uh, auction, not your children. Let's not do that. Um, but, uh, or, or, or just, you can watch and, and be a part of it. It's going to be a great, great weekend, all right? Lots of fun. If you have any questions about that, there's a table set up in the atrium during the summer festivities. You can stop by, and I know one of those team members would love to answer any questions. How many of y'all have plans to go on a trip this summer? Anybody going away this summer? Raise your hand up nice and high. Any kids going on vacation this summer that you know about? Any kids? Burhana, where are you going? Do you know? Wherever they, t- Where? Going to the beach, the beach and the mountains. Nice, that's a good combo. Where are you going? To the pool. I love it. I love it. Anybody going any place exotic this summer? Adults, you can answer too. Why not? This is the one time you get to talk in church. Exotic. Any place going exotic? Tennessee. Very. Y'all have a different definition of exotic in Colorado. I'll tell you that much right now. So that's exciting. Well, hey, when you go on vacation, how many of y'all generally pack a bag? Raise your hand up nice and high. When you pack a bag, do you put some thought into it? Or do you just kind of open the bag up and tell your young ones, go get whatever you want, put it in the bag, we should be all set for vacation, right? How many of y'all have ever gone on vacation, packed your bag, got there, and forgot something? Yeah, and have you ever gone on a trip somewhere where you forgot something that you couldn't get while you were there, right? It was something that you just knew you could not find it there, and you had to panic and frantic and try and find, how am I going to make it work, right? When we go on vacation, some of us put a lot of thought into it. How many of you are list makers? You make your lists, right? And you check that list, right? How many of you are like, flight leaves in an hour, better pack, right? How many of you have, right? Absolutely. Sometimes we neglect, right? Sometimes we neglect those spaces uh, that, that like we need to actually take some time, right? We can't work. I've learned I can't work right up to the day of vacation. I got to have like a day or two before to like put some thought into it, right? Because if I don't care for what goes in that bag, I'm not going to be ready for what might happen on vacation, right? Uh, I, I got to ask you this question too, since we're talking about summer vacations. How many have ever had a, a, a terrible summer vacation? Like you went on a vacation and it just, it failed miserably. Anybody want to own that? Yeah, I have, right? Sometimes vacations don't work out, right? 
And sometimes they don't work out because there's nothing we can do about it, but sometimes vacations don't work out because we didn't plan for it, right? We didn't think about it. I am married to a planner, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, I'm married to a planner who I can't imagine some of the stuff that we have with us on vacation, right? Somebody will get sick, and I'm like, oh, we got to go find it. Got it. You know, like, we need a cast. Got it. She's putting a cast on somebody else's kid, you know? Like, a plan ready to go, right? And we think a lot about vacation, but here's what's interesting. Think about how much time a lot of us put into like planning for a week or a two week of vacation, right? We got to figure out what happens with the mail. We got to figure out who's going to mow the lawn. We got to figure out are the lights going to get turned on and off and we got the trash to get here. We make all kinds of preparations. Let me ask you this question. Do you think much about your soul? Like when it comes to vacations, like, man, we've got to put a lot of effort into this two weeks. But what about like the condition of our souls? Now, when I ask that question, the condition of our souls, some of you like might immediately go like, oh no, like, is he asking me about the eternal condition of my soul? And that's not what I'm talking about today because I'm not really into that whole thing. I have no idea about that stuff. That's way beyond my pay grade. What I'm talking about is that part of us that's not physical, but has a lot to do with how we handle the physical world around us right, what we would call like the cellular, what I would call like not the cell level of who we are, not our biology and the exercises that make our bones strong and our muscles, but what about that part of us, that inside internal voice that helps us navigate the realities of our lives? The truth is, if we cared for our vacations the way we oftentimes care for our souls, our vacations would be disasters, because we tend to go through life just taking what comes our way, and we don't think about the condition of our souls, and we tend to neglect them. We tend to neglect the care of our souls. Now, why do we do that, right? Believe it or not, it's kind of the same reasons why we kind of neglect getting ready for vacation. <laughs> Sometimes we're just distracted. We're distracted by life. We neglect the care of our souls. We neglect sometimes packing for vacation because we got so many things going on. We're just distracted. We're too busy. We don't have time for it. We don't have time to think about the condition of my soul, that internal voice that I'm constantly having dialogue with, that I tend to trust because it sounds like my own voice, but I know sometimes it says things to me that I shouldn't be listening to, or it says things that I should be listening to, but I just can't. Sometimes we neglect the care of our souls, and this is a tough one. Like, you might want to put your toes under the table, because this one, I might step on toes. Like, we're just not disciplined enough. We're just not disciplined enough. Just like we're not disciplined enough to take the time that's needed to prepare for a vacation. Instead, we frantically get ready the day before. We haven't taken a few hours. Like, sometimes we're just not disciplined enough to say, what is needed for the care of my soul? And this is important because just like when you plan for a summer vacation, if you don't care for that time, if you don't think about, like, what goes in the bag, right? You're going to get there, and you're going to have experiences, and you're not going to be prepared for them, Right? And the same is true with our souls. If we don't think about what we're putting into our souls, if we don't think about the condition and the care and the health of our souls, if we neglect that, what we're actually doing is neglecting our capacity to love. Because it's the condition of our soul where love flows out of. Genuine, authentic love. Not cheap, easy love. Hey, love to see you tomorrow. But like love that says, I accept you as the way you are. Let's journey together. You're a mess, I'm a mess, we're in this thing together. Genuine love that causes us to sacrifice, to give of ourselves. And that flows out of the health of our souls. When our souls are in a good spot, when our souls are strong, 
we're ready. But if we haven't put the right stuff into our souls, we're not going to be ready for those moments. And Scripture actually gives us a lot of wisdom on the care of our souls, probably more than we could ever cover in a year. But there's some fascinating things I just want to touch on today because I did promise that it would be shorter, okay? The first thing is this. Did you know that your soul can actually prosper? According to Scripture, our souls can prosper, just like your life can prosper, right? You can prosper financially. You can prosper physically. You can prosper in all these ways. Your soul can actually prosper. There's this little letter in the New Testament. We call it 3 John. 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Beloved, I hope you are prospering in every respect and are in good health, just as your soul is prospering. Like for the author of this letter, the soul is prospering because it's grounded in the love and the hope of Jesus. And in the same way, our souls can prosper. Our souls can be healthy and controlled. But here's what's interesting. Scripture also tells us that just because your soul might be grounded in the divine, just because your soul might understand the truth of who you are and whose you are, that doesn't mean that your soul will not be without seasons of suffering. And this is why, ultimately, the care of our souls is so important. Because undoubtedly, we're going to face suffering. Just like, undoubtedly, when you go on vacation, you're going to face surprises. The question is, are we ready for them in those moments? Have we packed appropriately? There's a, a, a very, very famous poem in the Psalms. The Psalms is a, basically a book of poetry in the, what we call the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew Bible. And this poem is kind of famous. If you've been around church for a long time, maybe you sang songs about it. You might have heard it read. But this, song, this psalm, this poem, starts like this. It says, As the deer longs for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, O God. And we love that, right? We're like, oh, it's beautiful. Just beautiful. Just desperate for you, God. And we have this picture of a deer out in the woods, just <laughs> lapping up the water. And we tend to stop reading the poem there. <laughs> but this poem is not actually about the deer that's standing at the stream lapping up the water. It's about a deer malnourished because it can't find water. This poem is actually about a deer that's longing, desperate for water to survive. See, it says, my soul thirsts for God, the living God. When can I enter and see the face of God? My tears have been my bread day and night, and they ask me, the tears speak to me, the tears say to me, where is your God? The pain of whatever this poet is going through, this moment of longing for an experience with God, the suffering of their soul, their tears taunt them. Where's your God now in your pain? Where's your God now? Did you catch this part of the poem, right? This part of the poem is telling us that a suffering soul often feels the absence of God. You don't have to raise your hand, but have your tears ever taunted you? Have your tears ever left you in a space wondering, where is God? Where's God? I was taught all these things about if I did this, if I lived my life this way, if I believed these things, if I did this, then everything was going to be fine. And then we find our world kind of crushing around us. And there's actually this deep desire for what we once experienced. We sense it. There's an absence. The psalm goes on and says, those times I recall as I pour out my soul, when I would cross over the shrine, to the shrine of the mighty one, to the house of God, amid Lao's cries of thanksgiving with the multitude keeping festival. Like there's something inside of this person's soul that longs for these experiences that perhaps is even going down to these festivals, but they feel so distant and they feel alone. A suffering soul often feels alone. And this is a person who used to travel down and, and participate in all the festivals, in all of those religious activities. God was so present, 
but now is in a space desperate for that again. Poem goes on and says, why are you downcast, my soul? Why do you groan within me? And here's the hope. Wait for God, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. Wait for him. I will do this. I will have this experience again. There's this hope in the midst of the suffering that what was once in my life, this experience that I had, the closeness, the nearness will happen again. And so the, the poem kind of continues. And it teaches us that a suffering soul really does long for an experience with the divine. And I think what this song is, is teaching us, what the psalmist is trying to say is you've got to condition your soul for times of suffering. And I think scripture reveals that, like the soul needs to be conditioned, like anything else in our lives. If you want your soul to prosper, if you want your inner state to prosper, you have to take care of it. It needs to be conditioned for those moments. You got to kind of think of your soul as this bag that you pack. <laughs> and life is this journey. And you're going to face these circumstances. You're going to face these moments of suffering where you feel alone. And what am I going to reach into the depths of my soul with? Will there be any hope left? What has been kind of that foundation for me? 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 8 through 10. In this letter that was written, we get this beautiful description of why soul care is important. I love the message translation. The message translation puts it this way. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. <laughs> Exercise daily in God. Workouts in the gym, they're useful. But a disciplined life in God is far more so, making you fit both today and forever. You can count on this. Take it to heart. Right? A disciplined life in God. What does that mean? Does that mean like I just don't do anything fun? No, I don't think that at all. I think it's this idea of saying, am I disciplined to care for my internal, eternal reality? I think there's a part of us that is eternal. I think there's a part of us that, that is so mysterious that we just can't fully understand, but we know deep in the depths of our hearts and our lives that there's something beyond this. And that soul, that state, that person needs cared for. Because when you put your hope in God, when your soul is prospering, there produces a toil, a labor in that. Because we feel a burden for the whole world to experience the joy of knowing that they are loved and that they are whole in Christ. In fact, verse 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 4 finishes like this. It says, for this we toil and struggle, right? We toil and struggle. We work out. It's, it's difficult. We do this hard work of caring for our souls because we have set our hope on the living God who is, could somebody please read this for me, the Savior of all. all. I don't know if you were taught that at one point in time in your life or not, but it's right there in Scripture. The Savior of all, especially those who believe. There is a unique reality to living in truth, but we labor and toil in this hope that He is the Savior of all, of everyone, of everything. There's this redemption. So here's what I think we have to remember if we're going to hang up signs that say hope is here, and we're going to ask the question, how do we keep hope alive? And that is that hope demands soul care, that we cannot be purveyors of hope. We cannot be people who love if we don't care for our souls. And so how do we do that in our normal everyday? Well, there's a bazillion ways we can care for our souls. I want to talk for just a moment to wrap us up about something so basic and fundamental to soul care. This is like the jumping jacks of soul care, like the push-ups, the stuff you can do in your home. Like it's the basics, right? What does it mean? Where can we start 
okay? So in our everyday, here's the thing. While you're caring for your individual soul, I want to say this. History, our Christian tradition, life teaches us that the care of our souls, the development of that internal voice, that training is a team sport. It's a team sport. We are not meant to do it alone. We are pack animals. That's who we are. We are meant to be in community doing this, caring for our souls together. And so the, 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 the most fundamental thing that we can commit ourselves to is to gather, to gather in community for three basic things that we do, worship, prayer, and learning. We do these things in community. Now, let's talk about these things, like the fundamentals of spiritual training, right? It's like the let's get going presidential fitness award of our souls, right? How do we do this? So we gather for these fundamentals. The first one is worship. What is worship? Well, it's more than singing, and it's not making God happy, right? God does not have a, a, a problem with God's personal identity that needs us to constantly tell God, you're so good, God. You're so good. It's okay. You're going to have a better day tomorrow, God. Oftentimes, that's what our songs sound like. <laughs> it's okay, God. We love you. We love you. You're a good God. Good God. It's okay, right? We miss the point. No, worship is a transformative experience that often involves music. It involves being together. It involves learning in our tradition. It involves the scriptures. But it's saying, I want to experience the divine. See, worship is this giving ourselves over to a divine experience. And I do honestly think the most powerful way that happens is when we're in community. It's why since the beginning of time, of our whole faith tradition, there's been gatherings. There's a system of get everybody together. For us, that happens on a weekly basis. And I recognize we are still in a space of COVID, so we're having people gather in different ways. But we have to commit ourselves to this as fundamental, or it just doesn't work, right? Our model doesn't work. So we gather to experience the divine in worship, and then we pray. We pray together in community. We offer opportunities for you as individuals to receive prayer every week to know that you're not alone. We pray every week. We send you out with a blessing, which is a type of prayer. This is important stuff. It's not because it's magic. I don't know how prayer works. Sometimes I don't think prayer works. Can anybody agree with me? Oh, crud. I'm on my own. <laughs> anybody ever agree that prayer doesn't work? That it's all nonsense and I'm talking to nobody? Anybody? Yeah. That's like every other day in my life these days. But I still do it. I think that's the idea of the discipline of it. There's faith involved. I don't know how it works. We've talked about this before, but Jesus invites me to do it, and I follow Jesus. I'm a Jesus guy. I'm all in when it comes to Jesus. <laughs> and so I, I follow that tradition of just trusting that somehow casting my cares out of my soul and into the universe matters, that the experience is powerful when we do this together. It's trusting in the mystery that God is imminent. I don't believe that God exists outside of our universe and every now and then breaks in and does a miracle. I believe that God is in all and through all, that in this divine we live and move and have our being, as the Scripture says. And so prayer is my opportunity to get myself into that flow, right? It's not necessarily getting what I want, it's getting into what God wants for all of humanity, and oftentimes it is taking my burdens, it is taking what I'm struggling with, my frustrations, my failures, my desires. God, I really would like a boat. I actually don't, but that was a good one to use. Because some of you have boats. What do I need a boat for? 
<laughs> and I like friends with boats. It's like pool friends. Everybody needs a friend with a pool. You don't need a pool. Trust me. It's way too much work. So we get in flow with prayer. And then the third thing we do on a weekly basis for the care of our souls is learning. We learn together. Learning is 80% being reminded of what you know, <laughs> right? Being challenged with seeing the world in new ways, right? It's opening our souls for us as followers of Jesus, as peacemakers. It's opening our souls to the wisdom of Scripture and its application to our reality. How do we take this ancient, diverse, very like distinct set of writings that we just bring faith to to say there's wisdom in this in the experiences of these authors for our lives today? How do we have an according to moment, right? You have the gospel according to Matthew, the good news of Jesus according to Matthew, according to Mark. You have one gospel, one good news, one Jesus, but it's applied to different contexts at different times. It's written in different perspectives. Different stories are told about Jesus, different parables, different ways of understanding for their time, for their moment. And that's what we're doing. We're creating our gospel according to moment every week. And we embrace it and we recognize it's messy sometimes to deal with those things in our reality that aren't cut and dry and clear. And as we think and discern and try and press into the mystery of what is God, we find hope that we don't have to get it right. But by coming together and wrestling with it is powerful. Because if we commit ourselves to these fundamentals of gathering, whether we're six years old or whether we're 66 years old or 106 years old, when we constantly are worshiping together, praying together, learning together, this kind of effective soul care will produce something very powerful, a, a renewed mind and a transformed perspective. On a, on, a, on a weekly basis, this renewing of our minds, that's why I love to do a blessing every week, because we need a renewed sense of this is the week. This is what I've been given. There's a rhythm that we're given in our tradition of seven days, six days you rest, seven days. And so we gather for that worship. We gather for that blessing that sends us out into this week to be peacemakers, to be challenged, to love, to challenge the injustices in our world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul's most theological writing. He says this, he says, do not conform to this age, to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. See, here's the, the, the beauty of this, this passage of Scripture is that every generation has to discern what is the way of this world that's not the peacemaking path of Jesus? And how do I have my mind renewed so that I don't conform to those patterns, so I don't conform to the, the values that are, that are maybe a part of my culture, a part of my, even my own faith tradition, but there's been an evolution. Now I have to say, okay, I have to discern God's will. My mind has to be renewed, and that comes through soul care. You could probably think about it, the renewing of your soul. I don't like get into the arguments about like, are you a tripart or dual part person of like body and soul or mind, body. I just, I'm like, I don't know. But I do know that I've got to think about the non-physical reality of my life. And, and I do know that just me sitting down with my Bible isn't enough. I need people, I need your experience. Some of you have lived lives that I will never, ever live. I'll never understand, but you have experienced things that will shape me and help me know God better. The divine image in you looks different than the divine image in me. Your experiences in the very same room that I might stand in will be very different because you look different than me. You speak different than me. You might be of a different gender, a different race, a different sexuality. 
And your experiences have to inform my understanding of peacemaking. Otherwise, I'm just on this mission to make everybody look like me. And as, as appealing as that is, <laughs> I just don't think that's Jesus' way. You know what I'm saying? I just don't think it. So here's the thing. As we get ready to go and have some Mama Perez burritos, some barbecue, if you're little, you jump in the bounce houses. Don't want any adults in those bounce houses. We got yard games out there, some time to be together in community. What is God inviting you into today? I hope and I pray that God's inviting you into to commit to gathering regularly, to commit to this, what you're doing right now, not just this summer, but commit to it, even in the moments when your soul is suffering, but bring the suffering soul to the table, bring it to this space, bring it, and I hope that you'll invite others to participate in it as well, because the, remember, the capacity to love, I think, is always tied into how we care and tend for our souls, the capacity they're in. And here's my hope. I hope that some of you today have smiled a lot with these kids. And I hope that some of you today, you've smiled so much, you've thought, I would really like to invest more and learn more about volunteering with kids and students. And if that's you, I'm not saying every week, but you'd say, I'd like to learn more about the opportunities to invest my life into the next generation of kids here at Crossroads. Just check that box on your Connect card. And as you head out today, you can drop your Connect card, your giving envelope, in the orange kiosks there in the back. Uh, and everybody's got something to give today. Isn't that great? Everybody's got a connect card. Everybody has a giving envelope too. But we're going to have a great time this morning. All right, so here's the deal. Stand on up with me. That's I, I, pretty, I mean, it's shorter than usual, right? Come on. All right, so listen, I've got a summer blessing for us today, okay? A summer prayer for us, a summer blessing for us, and then uh, I'm going to invite the rally team to come on up. Kids that want to stick around, I think they're going to do church clap, the song church clap, uh, as, as everybody exits out and, and, and get some food and have some fun together. All right, so do me a favor, raise up your hands nice and tall if you're willing to, just to receive this blessing for the summer. May this summer be filled with divine surprises. And may love surprise you with new friends and new experiences and new visions. And may your family find time to enjoy the warm sun and the blue skies. And may your patios, decks, and kitchen tables be sacred spaces where hope is found and faith flourishes. And may our church grow this summer. May we grow in our love for our neighbors. May our camp and preschool grow so that we might serve and love more families and their kiddos. And God, may this summer be a celebration of your grace and your hope in our lives. Amen. We'll see everybody at the gala. We'll see everybody next Sunday. Have a great time out at Summerfest. I think it's time for church clap for those of you that want to dance. <laughs>